Christians vote. The Christians vote. Some Christians have told me over the last few weeks, not necessarily anybody even in here, uh, but that they're not going to vote because of the personal traits and qualities of the candidates, both on the Republican and the Democratic side. I'm not going to vote, they say, because their character and their personal qualities are just so abysmal on both sides that we're just not going to vote. So I share this message with you today with that in mind. You know, um, I want to strongly encourage you to vote. You know, blood has been shed by many brave United States soldiers to give you and I the right to vote. And to not vote, I believe, tramples on their blood. And God, I'm convinced of this, will hold us responsible on if we don't vote. And I'll tell you right now, to not vote is the wrong vote. And you need to vote right. And that's why we showed this platform video to you. A platform is something you stand on. The Democrats stand on one platform. The Republicans stand on the other. And you need to find out about each platform. That's why we put that up there for you. And then you need to line those platforms up with the word of God. And then vote in line with the word of God. I'll never tell you who to vote for. That's between you and the Lord. But it's my job to present to you what I'm presenting this day. And then you vote in line with the word of God. But if we don't vote, I believe that it's very displeasing to the Lord. And I believe that, uh, and, I, and I, I, I just know this, I, I know this like I know my own name. If a Christian votes for a party that favors abortion, every little baby that's aborted, that little baby's blood is on your hands. And you'll, you'll account for it at the judgment seat of Christ one day. Very important what we're, what we're dealing with. And if you don't vote, that same blood will be on your hands. Did you hear me? Yes. Now, if all voting age Christians would vote in line with what I'm going to say here today, the United States could be turned back to righteousness in a very short time. You realize that Great, great, great numbers of Christians don't go to vote. They just don't. And that's sad, isn't it? There are actually Christians and people think that what I'm doing here today, that I shouldn't even be doing this. How dare I talk about this in a church service? Because separation of church and state. But people that feel that way don't understand what separation of church and state is all about. And preachers ought to be. Doing what I'm doing here today. And because preachers don't do what I'm doing here today. That's one of the biggest reasons this nation is in the mess that it's in. Because the pulpits have been silenced. Okay. You understand that? All right. Um, So what should a Christian consider when approaching the voting booth? Well, first of all, look for righteousness. Proverbs 14.34, Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness 
exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. So these platforms that we shared with you this morning, and notice we shared fairly the Democratic side and the Republican side. Search for righteousness in both of those platforms. And then vote in line with that. And let me tell you this. Look more at the policies than the personal traits of the candidate. Now, morals and integrity matter. They do. But when electing a president of the United States, policies matter more than personal traits. Many think if a magnificent Christian were elected president, all would be well. Well, maybe, maybe not. I've observed some Christian presidents do some not-so-wise things. We've had some moral presidents, and, and being moral is good. We need to have morality. The president needs to be moral. I, I Needs to be. But I'm convinced we need to look at more what the platform stands for than, let me say it this way. This nation's future is more important than either of those two candidates' past. Did you get what I just said there? I don't condone womanizing. I don't condone touching a woman inappropriately. God doesn't condone that. God also doesn't condone corruption and lying. So we can look at the Democratic presidential candidate and the Republican presidential candidate and we can find enough dirt in both of their past to disqualify either one of them. But let's look at this nation's future more than we look at these two candidates' past. You okay with that? Because I think that we can go into all of our lives. And if you were running for president, if I was running for president, I'll guarantee it to you, they'd come up with stuff on all of us. Is there anybody in here that you've never done anything in your past that you wouldn't be ashamed of? I think we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I'm not condoning any immorality or any lying. I'm not condoning that. But we've got to look at the future of this nation more so than these candidates past. And like I've said, we've had some moral presidents over the many years with some really bad policies. Some Christian presidents with some bad policies and good policies. We've had some immoral presidents that have, that have had some good policies and, and some bad policies. And, and like many people have been saying, we are electing a president, not a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. You need to realize that not all Sunday school teachers would make a good president. You need to understand that. Now, ideally, wouldn't it be nice if we had a president that was a Christian, born again, you know, filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues, and had Franklin Graham in there and advising him, you know, and other good, James Dobson and all these good people in there, and he always did, the president did things right in line with the word. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what we would all like. But we don't have that, so we need to look at what each of these platforms 
are for the Republicans and Democrats and then vote which one of those two is more in line with righteousness. You okay? You okay with every? You all right with everything I've said? You know? Again, I'm not condoning any wrongdoing. Think about David, King David. How many has ever heard of King David? Now, he was anointed by God, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And, of course, everybody pretty well knows that David committed adultery. Is that right? His poll numbers would have dropped. Guaranteed fact. And they should have. Not only did he commit adultery, but he also conspired murder, didn't he? That's not good. That's a man that God put in to office. But David repented. And God forgave him. But you also need to realize there was something else that David did that a lot of people don't think of. But as the king, the Bible says that that Satan tempted him at one time. And got him to number the people. He wasn't supposed to number the people. But he numbered the people. And, and, and it, was a, it was a decision he made as the leader, as the king. Totally out of line with the will of God. And it cost 70,000 people their lives. Brought the judgment of God. That's David. So we could camp on those things and disqualify him for office. But you know what? God still used him greatly, didn't he? And then Hezekiah. Have you ever heard of King Hezekiah? One of the godliest kings in all of the Bible. But he at one time shared some military secrets with the Babylonians and it eventually brought a curse on the nation. There's a godly king. So just because the president or the king is godly doesn't mean they're always going to do godly things. Did you hear me? And then I want to talk about King Cyrus, the Persian. A lot of people have never heard of him. King Cyrus, the Persian. Approximately a hundred. It was actually it was one hundred ninety five years. Before he was born, listen to this, about 195 years before Cyrus was born, through Isaiah the prophet, God called him by name. God called Cyrus his anointed and his shepherd. Who, and he, God said, who will perform all my pleasure? Yet Cyrus was not a believer He didn't know God. He was a pagan. What does that mean? He served other gods. Yet God used him to help the people of God who had been in captivity, the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, Cyrus, was used by God, even though Cyrus didn't know God, God used him to help the people, God's people, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Think about that. God using a pagan to bring about his will. Cyrus was a good man, 
a good king. He didn't oppose God's people, but he wasn't a believer. He was a pagan, yet God used him. How could he be called anointed? I don't think that word anointed there really means that he was anointed like David was anointed. He was cho- God chose him to do a task. He was a shepherd, not a shepherd like, like, you know, like Jesus is the good shepherd. Certainly not a shepherd like that. But God used him to bring his people back to Jerusalem to rebuild. What am I trying to tell you? That God can take somebody that's rough around the edges... That is not even a believer and use them for his purposes to bring about his will. Many Christians would not vote for King Cyrus because he was a pagan. But yet God used him. Think about that. God wrote his name 150 years in the Bible, 195 years in the Bible before he was born. Think about that. The next time you get a little nervous when you look at the both candidates and you think, oh my gosh. Next time you get a little bit nervous about where we're at here in this nation, just remember we serve an awesome God. God's not nervous about anything. And we shouldn't be either. It's interesting, just a little side note here. The historian Josephus says that Cyrus was informed of the biblical prophecies about him, likely by Daniel the prophet. Wouldn't that be something to be able to go to the Bible and have a man of God say, Hey, did you know you're written here in the Bible, you know, by name? I mean, we're all in there, whosoever. How many whosoevers do I have in here? But I mean, to actually find your name in there? God knows the end from the beginning. I don't know who's going to win this next election, but God knows. And God's not nervous. Did you hear me? I will throw this in while I'm at it. Brother Hagen, how many's ever heard of him? One of the foremost prophets of our, of our generation, of our day. And not one time did he ever prophesy or, or predict or try to predict who the next president was. I'd stay away from the quote-unquote prophets that are prophesying who the next president is going to be. Most of those people are just as flaky as a box of cornflakes. Kellogg's cornflakes. Now, it's the truth. And then if they prophesy right, they, they, they draw attention to themselves. And if they prophesy wrong, then they say, well, God wanted it, but the people weren't ready for it. And they'll always explain it away. Did you hear what I just said? I don't know who's going to win the election. But I know God's not nervous. Can you say amen? Amen. I can tell you what I'm believing for, but I shared that in the prayer session. So if you want to know what I'm believing for, then you can come to the prayer session. Say, say Jesus is Lord. What am I trying to say? That just because a person is a believer or non-believer, that's not the qualification for office of president. It's what are they going to do concerning some of the most important issues. You okay? And there's a lot of people shot me down for that. And they, well, I'm not going to vote because he's not a Christian. He's not a choir boy. She's not a Christian. She's not a choir girl. No, where do they stand on the issues? So... 
Consider the policies they stand for more than their personal traits. So what to consider? Let me give you five things to consider when you go to the voting booth. And actually, I heard David Barton. Has anybody ever heard of David Barton? He's, he's the founder and the president of Wall Builders. And it's a national organization that presents Americans, America's forgotten history. And, and, and he's a real, real good historian. And so I, I, I mean, and, and what I'm going to share with you is really just common sense, but, but I wanted to give him proper credit because he's the one that, that gave me the idea for what I'm going to share from here on. First of all, first of all, when you go to the voting booth, these are five things that every Christian ought to consider. First thing is, what is the candidate going to do concerning the judges? What is the candidate going to do concerning the judges on the Supreme Court and any other federal judges? But particularly here this time around, what is the candidate going to do concerning the judges? Now, 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 a lot of times people don't think about the judges. But you know, Judah, Judah had many years ago when Isaiah was a prophet, uh, Judah had gotten into a mess. And, uh, and God said something to Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 1 verse 26. God said something to him. He says here, he says, I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward or then you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So what did what had to be dealt with before they could get righteousness back? The judges. Realize, say the judges. The judges. See, a lot of times we think about, well, the president is the most important. Well, it's the judges. If you want righteousness in a nation, it's the judges. Realize, say the judges. You see, the righteousness of a nation is determined by the type of judges it has. And we see this here in America. Abortion. Same-sex marriage, and we could name other things, came out of courtrooms, not legislatures. The judges are all important. Now, the legislatures, they are voted in by the people, okay? And like the Supreme Court judges, you see, they're nominated by the president, and then they're confirmed by the Senate. But how do the senators get in there? How does the president get in there? By our vote. Say vote. And what you need to realize, if you don't know this, you need to know this. The next president, the next president, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whoever it is, the next president will appoint perhaps as many as four judges to the Supreme Court. You need to know that. The next president, now listen to this, the next president will be in office at least four years, unless something happens, unfortunate, you know, and all of that. But they'll be in office at least four years, maybe eight years. But the effect he or she will have through the Supreme Court justice appointments will last for generations. Now, if you don't know anything else about this election, you need to know that. Because this... This next election, in my opinion, is about the judges. The judges. Because, again, the judges, the, the, the next president's going to be in there four to eight years. But the judges that he or she appoints will affect this nation for generations to come. 
And up until now, the court has had a pretty even balance of conservative versus liberal judges. And whoever gets to become president, you can see that court is going to tip either totally, totally conservative or totally, totally liberal. It's going to tilt either really in line with the word of God or tilt totally out of line with the word of God. You need to know that this next election is really about the what? The judges. Will the candidate appoint judges that will uphold biblical principles? Now then the next thing that you need to consider is found in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3. God speaking to Abram and he says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Talking of Jesus coming through through the Jews, you know. But what did God just say here? He said, those that bless Israel, I'll bless. Those that curse Israel, I'll curse. When you go into the voting booth, you need to understand how will your candidate treat Israel. That's very important. Okay? Then, so there's two things. What was the first thing? It was the judges. The second thing is Israel. The third thing is this. Um... After God brought his people out of Egyptian bondage, he built a nation out of them at Mount Sinai. And when you think about Mount Sinai, Moses came down with how many commandments? Ten. But you need to realize this, and most don't, so I'm informing you, that really, you see, God formed a nation there with Israel after they came out of Egyptian bondage. God formed a nation. And when you have a nation, you have to have laws. And so there were really 613 laws that were given the people. And it was to govern their society. And, and, and those 613 laws that God gave dealt with taxes, debt, economy, welfare, health care, education, immigration, war and military, foreign relations, environment, criminal justice. It, it's all there. 613 of them. As you look at those 613 laws, the Ten Commandments being a, the Ten being part of that 613 from my study of it, you need to realize that God has priorities. Realize, say priorities. And as you look at those laws, not all of the issues have equal importance. Jesus brought this out clearly when he was speaking about the tithe. He said, in my own words, he said the tithe is important, but he said there's weightier matters. Than the tithe. Like the love of God and mercy, faith, judgment, you see. So not all of the laws that God gave hold the same importance. Now, of course, all of God's laws are important. We need to keep them. But but some laws are more important than others. And as you look at those 613 laws, you find that 10 of them. And look at Exodus 34, verse 27. Exodus 34, verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, realize, say tenor, to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He neither ate bread or drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So of the 613 laws that God gave to govern any nation, The Ten Commandments are the tenor 
of those 613. And you say, well, what is tenor? Don't think about a singer now. You know, a tenor, an alto, I mean. But the word tenor here means it's the basics, the summary, the heart and the soul, the backbone. So the ten com- of the 613 laws that God gave to govern a nation, there's ten of them. That, that w- what we know as the Ten Commandments are the basics, the summary, the heart and the soul, the backbone of what God requires whenever you have a nation. And so of those ten, I want to pick three of them that have to do with some of the major topics of what we, what we deal with today. Okay, the Ten Commandments, most people can list them. But commandment seven says you shall not commit adultery. So when you go to the voting booth, you consider the judges, you consider Israel, but you also consider where where does your candidate stand on marriage and sexuality? That's very important. It's God's seventh commandment. Where does your candidate that you're going to vote for stand on marriage and sexuality? You know, recently the same-sex marriage was legalized here in the United States by the Supreme Court. The justices put there by the president. The president's put there by the people's vote. You see how important our vote is? And now all these transgender issues and transgender bathrooms and all this stuff that's going on. Dear friends, when you go to the voting booth, think about how your candidate stands on marriage and sexuality. God defines marriage as a lifelong communion, if you will, or relationship between a man and a Woman as husband and wife. And if you were born a male, God intended for you to be a male. And if you were born a female, God intended for you to be a female. God didn't make a mistake. Did you hear what I just said? I don't believe in... In persecuting anybody, I don't believe in beating anybody over the head. I don't believe in putting people down. But I do believe in telling people the truth. Can you say amen? amen. Notice Hebrews 13.4. We'll just read this. You see, sex belongs between a man and a woman in the bond of marriage. That's the way God defined it. Who do we think we are to redefine it? Marriage is honorable in all. Hebrews 13.4. The bed undefiled. See, God is all for sex. God is all for sex. Did you know God is all for sex? Did you know he invented it? He created it. And it was his wedding present for the man and the woman as a husband and a wife. Marriage is honorable and all and the bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous... Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites will inherit the kingdom of God. Now you need to listen to this. This nation has already headed down the road, and this next election, I think, will. 
if things don't go in line with the word of God, could seal the deal to the point that there's going to come a day if the Christians don't stand up at this time and vote. There's going to come a day when pastors in this nation stand in their pulpits and read these two scriptures, what I just read. That if they do that, there'll be police officers standing or military people standing at the door to come put us in handcuffs and throw us into into prison. Did you hear what I just said? That's where we're at right now. And, And the Spirit of God's been having me share this for over 15 years. I've stood right here in this very spot. Warning, 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 warning. That was coming, that was coming, that was coming, that was coming, that was coming. Why did you think he had me here warning that it was coming? So that we would take some steps to not let it happen. But we're at the election now where if Christians don't rise up in vast numbers and vote in line with the word of God, that day will come where a man of God, a woman of God stands in a pulpit, reads those two scriptures. Police officers or military people will be at the door, whether church is large or small or medium, whatever size, and they'll put the the, in, in, in chains in handcuffs and take us away to prison. That's how important this next election is. I'm convinced of it. Oh, you're just over-dramatizing it. No, I'm not. Can't you see what's been going on? They've all but thrown Jesus out of the military, even as I speak. This election is very important. So what do we have? Say judges. Israel. Say sexuality. And then the fourth thing, there's five things. The fourth thing is you need to consider where a candidate stands on the public acknowledgement of belief and conscience. Public acknowledgement of belief and conscience. The first, the first commandment that the Lord gave, he said, I'm the Lord thy God. You shall have no other gods before me. Will the candidate that you vote for protect your right to public acknowledgement of what you believe and your conscience? Or will they prosecute you? For your right to public acknowledgement of belief and conscience. What is your candidate going to do? Protect or prosecute that right? For example, there have been bakers and florists and different ones in the land that they would make a cake for anybody. Even homosexuals, anybody come in, buy, buy cake, buy donuts, whatever. But when they're approached with, we want you to bake a cake for our homosexual wedding, those bakers have said, no, it violates our conscience. And then they'll give a list of go to here. There's ten other bakeries you can go to. But no, they are then sued in the courts. And several of them have been fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. And several of them have lost their businesses. You see how important this next election is? Because that's either going to get double downed on. You know what I mean? Double down is going to get worse or it can, can be turned. What will the candidate that you vote for do concerning your right 
to publicly acknowledge your belief and conscience and to say that I'll have no other gods before God and I will not do anything that violates my conscience of what I believe. Did you hear me? And then finally, the fifth thing to consider is where does your candidate stand on abortion? Commandment number six, you shall not murder. That's what that really says, that commandment. You shall not murder. And listen to me. Shedding of innocent blood, which is abortion, always, 100% of the time, brings a curse on a nation. And no nation can be great and blessed by God if abortion is legalized in that land. Did you hear what I just said? I said to one of my friends some years back, I said, this is just a great nation. And I do believe, the United States, I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, would you? No. I said, it's a great nation. And he said, Terry always called me Terry. He said, Terry, no nation can be great that's killed as many babies in the womb as this one. That's why the judgment of God's pending on this nation. People get mad at me when I say that. But I'm going to tell you, Shedding innocent blood always brings the judgment of God. Where does your candidate stand on abortion? So what are the top five things? They are judges, Israel, marriage and sexuality, public acknowledgement of belief and conscience, and abortion. And those are in no particular order. And the judges really have a lot to do with many of the rest of those things. Marriage, sexuality, public acknowledgement of belief and conscience and abortion. Do you believe that how many millions, I just feel impressed to the Spirit of God to just say a little more on this. You know, you know, how, you know how much innocent blood has been shed, how much blood has flowed, little babies being killed in their... Mother's womb. And partial birth abortion. Where they let the baby, as I understand it, come not all the way out of the out of the, the you know, the mother's body and then kills the baby. I'm gonna stand here under the anointing of God and tell you this, as a man of God, anybody that anybody, anybody that can acknowledge that and go along with that has an evil heart. Did you hear what I just said? Where does your candidate stand on the judges? Where do they stand on Israel? Where do they stand on marriage and sexuality? Where do they stand on your right to acknowledge what you believe publicly, your conscience? And where do they stand on abortion? Those are the top five things. Now, somebody say, well, Pastor Terry, you didn't say anything about immigration. Well, I believe immigration is important. And, and, and it would probably be number six on my list. But these should be the top five things I gave you today. But immigration, I think it is a big deal. And uh, I think that if my personal uh, view is that if you have a nation that doesn't have borders, do you really have a nation? How would God stand on that? What would he say? He would instruct us to follow the legal immigration laws of the land. And from my understanding, if those laws would be followed, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in with immigration. 
God would tell you to follow the existing law, what you have. Some people would say, well, Pastor Terry, you didn't say anything about environment and global warming. Well, if that's an issue for you, that's fine. Let that be number six on your list. But these other five things, judges, Israel, marriage and sexuality, public acknowledgement, a belief in conscious abortion, I believe should be the top five. If, if environment is your, your thing, then I'm not demeaning it, you know, but, but let it be number six on your list. And I'll tell you what, if you want to know what the Bible says about global warming, the Bible doesn't teach global warming. The Bible teaches global melting. People just sit there and look at you. Have you studied anything about the end times? God's going to burn this whole thing up one of these days. That's a lot more than warming, isn't it? So you have to explain it to them, then they get it. Say global melting. Well, people looking at me funny. Did you get it now? I just can't help myself. Anybody that says that the that if we just get the terrorists some jobs, they wouldn't blow things up. Now you know anybody that that's what Charles Cap say. That's just ignorance gone to seed. Is all that is. Some people say, well, you didn't say anything about the Second Amendment, gun control. That might be important to you. And um, let that be number six on your list. And I could talk about that. Say judges, Israel, marriage and sexuality. Public acknowledgement of belief in conscience and abortion. And, uh, you know, the Second Amendment. I think that's important. I have a concealed carry. I'm not packing heat right now. I got Adam over there to, you know, he'll take care of me, won't you? Plus, I got somebody a whole lot bigger than him. I got my angel. I'm glad to have him too. Personally, I, I don't want to let people take our guns away from us. But I'm not opposed to having, I don't think crazy people ought to be able to go in and get guns. You know. Background check, I have no problem with a, something reasonable on that, you know. But these are all important things, but they shouldn't be, the top should be judges, Israel, marriage, sexuality, public acknowledgement, a belief of conscience, and abortion. I just feel I need to say this, though. They come and take away all your guns. That's not a good thing, friends. I said, that's not a good thing. I said, that's not a good thing. So anyway, did you get anything out of this? So the 2016 party platform comparisons are back on the connections table. Uh, Democrat, Republican. And uh, we had it, of course, a video before we started. But back on the, the connections table, you can pick this up on your way out. Just one per person or one per family. 
And if you need more, I guess we, if we run out, we can get some more for you. You can go to the Internet if you don't want to take our word for it. This came from the FRC, the uh, Family Research Council. But you go on the Internet and find out what the platforms are. are. Don't take our words for it. You know, go look it up yourself. And uh, I think on this platform uh, back there, it covers everything I talked about. It doesn't cover Israel, but Billy Graham and his Decision magazine, uh, it talks about where the Democrats and Republicans stand on Israel. But you can go get, uh, get that off of the Internet. But whatever you do, find out where your candidates stand on these issues and then vote in line with the Word of God. I hope no one in here feels like I've told you who to vote for or how to vote because that's not my job. My job is just to inform you what I've done here today and then you do what you, you need to do. Your vote is between you and the Lord. Let's close in Isaiah 44 and 45. I just felt impressed we need to close by reading this and then we'll be done. Isaiah 44:28. Talking a little more about Cyrus. Did you learn who he was today? Cyrus. He was that king that God used. I just let's read this. Isaiah 44:28. Who says of Cyrus? Now this is God speaking through Isaiah about Cyrus. He is my shepherd. And not necessarily a shepherd like you would think of a shepherd, but he was going to do something to to move God's people back to Jerusalem. He shall perform all my pleasure. God is sovereign. He's that's good. Saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now go to chapter 45, verse 1. That's just right there at the next chapter. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. And that word anointed there, to me it more means the chosen. God chose him for a task. Whose right hand I have led to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I'll give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, will, will who call you by your name, that was 195 years before he was born, that you'll know that I am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, watch this, though you have not known me. So even somebody that didn't know God, God knew him, not 195 years before he was born, and used him, though he was a pagan king, God used him to bring about something good for his people. Isn't that wonderful? Can God take somebody that's rough around the edges, uh, you know, and, and use them for the good of his people? And then verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Isn't that something? God can use somebody that doesn't even know who he is. Verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun to the setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Can you say amen? Go out and vote, friends. Go out and vote on November the 8th. But I want to tell you, no matter who wins or loses, 
God is still God. And Jesus is still Lord. Will you stand with me? Now we've had somebody make a prayer request. I want you to stretch your hands forward here. Where's, where's he at? Is he, bring him up here.